The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 356, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Thursday, July 28th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call the number is 347-324-3541. Unfortunately, thanks to Blog Talk Radio, we do not have a switchboard this evening. So, the call the number is down for this episode, but... You can still participate by heading over to mtrlive.com, and we have a full chat room there that you can interact with myself, Slick, and any of the other listeners that are in attendance. And, of course, I will read your comments on air versus taking calls. Unfortunately, it was something that was out of my hands due to Blog Talk Radio being down from what I've heard this af- since this afternoon. I, um, I was originally going to go on air at 11, but unfortunately... Uh, trying to see if the problem was on my end or on theirs ended up being a widespread occurrence. So blog talk radio is down as a result, no switchboard. Nonetheless, like I said, you can watch this episode, mtrlive.com for video and for audio. Audio is provided by Mixler, M I X L R.com. You can punch it in, go to there look for my take radio. Listen that way. You can also download the Mixler app. Available for iOS or Android. Same deal. Look up My Take Radio via the Mixler app, and you will be able to listen to our show. Plus, Black is the New Black, which also does it live as well. So you can punch in either show on Mixler and listen to the show. It will notify you when the shows are live, and you'll be able to get the show that way. Of course, it is a high quality audio feed versus the BTR feed, which isn't that great, but. BTR has a kick-ass switchboard, and until somebody can replicate that, uh, they are, quote-unquote, a necessary evil. Uh, besides that, of course, video is streaming through um, a variety of sources at this point. Uh, we have YouTube Live, Twitch, Vaughn Live, Restream, Ustream, and um, I think there's one other other provider that is also simulcasting, but those are the main ones, Vaughn Live, of course, and Twitch being some of the bigger ones. Uh, Restream is starting to pick up, but definitely Vaughn Live. I'm starting to see some really good numbers. As always, 
Uh, if you are watching via those providers and you want to interact, head over to mtrlive.com and jump in the chat room. And we'll be able to uh, read your comments on air and interact as needed. Now, one of the things I did want to get into uh, tonight, obviously, besides gaming and entertainment, is something I noticed during last night's episode, which was the MMA and Wrestling Edition. Both shows, as many of you know, air usually at 11 o'clock. Um, given the the current state of things and how you know things have been progressing in terms of just equipment issues and you know rushing home for show prep, making sure things aren't working, I've been giving thought to possibly moving the start time permanently to 11:30 versus 11. Not sure how big of a difference the half an hour would make, but you know yesterday. And over the last couple of weeks since being back, it always seems like something rears its head between 10.30, 10.45, and 11 o'clock. And sure, you could say, yeah, but something could easily pop up at 11.15 or 11.30. This is also true, but I'm just trying to look at it like maybe starting a little later will allow me to account for any issues and resolve them before we go on air. But um, again, something I've been deliberating just because, like I said, in terms of just trying to address any issues, it'll be something that, you know, maybe we'll play around with. Like I said, we're going to we're gonna probably wrap up the month of August and see how it goes. If I continue to experience issues in that 11 o'clock hour, then maybe we'll make the move to 11.30. But for now, we will, we will press on with our usual 11 p.m. start time unless, of course, something goes wrong, which is the case uh, this time around. But as always, you know, I'll keep you guys posted via social media. Now, if you're not able to enjoy this episode live for whatever reason, you can always find it in podcast format on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And a video version is uploaded to YouTube as well. Ah, the other video provider just, just occurred to me as I was talking about it was Daily Motion. We're actually going to start live streaming to Daily Motion as well. Uh, the goal, hopefully, is it was supposed to have already been working, but I remembered that there was a feature that I had to add to our our streaming system to fix that. So hopefully for next week, you'll also be able to enjoy the show via Daily Motion as well. Again, you know we're trying to continue to we're continuing to improve the show for you every week. Try and give you guys uh, the best experience possible between contests and content, and also guests, which. Uh, we're trying to get the guest role probably, you know, coming together throughout the month of August and into the fall and the winter. I think now that the summer is coming to a close and people are, you know, becoming a little bit more accessible. People are doing a lot of traveling during the summer. So a lot of guests that I had wanted to book for the show over the last couple of weeks have either had to reschedule, cancel or actually want to do it later on in the year. But um, don't want to give too much away. Hopefully, uh, the ones that we have been working with over the last couple of days will come together. And, of course, we will make formal announcements, whether it be on RageWorks.net or via social media as well. We got lots on deck tonight, especially on the gaming side of things. Things are a little lighter on the entertainment side, but um, there's definitely a few things I do want to get into. So with that I think that's going to wrap up our housekeeping portion of the show. Let's get this ball rolling and jump into the gaming segment for this week. It looks like 
Nintendo is not the only one jumping into the retro pool. As many of you know, I talked about Nintendo releasing a micro console um, earlier this month, and it's scheduled to hit store shelves in November. Um, of course, that console will have wireless controllers, HDMI, and 30 preloaded Nintendo classics. Well, not to be outdone, it looks like Sega is also jumping into the proverbial pool, not only with a handheld system, but also a retro-style console, which in that case will come with 80 games. Of course, this is one of the many things that um, you know has come out post-San Diego Comic-Con with regards to Sega, the other being two Sonic games, which I will discuss later on. But it looks like the Mini Genesis and Portable Genesis are going to be available right before Nintendo releases their mini console. Uh, MSRP is projected to be at $65. Now, the Mini Genesis will not have a mini HDMI or HDMI output of any sort, unfortunately. Um, But the, the Portable Genesis is going to have an SD card slot which will allow for additional games to be added. So while I like that Sega's trying to dip their toes in the pool, not having HDMI or or any of this stuff is, is definitely not a step in the right direction. I mean, as TVs continue to improve and less and less of the traditional inputs are left, it's going to be a situation where it's either HDMI, maybe component. There's very few red, white, and yellow ports on TVs anymore, just regular. Uh, Usually, everybody's kind of leaning towards component, and if there is one, it's because, you know, it's like one straggler that they they just throw on there for for shits and giggles. If anything, I'd like to see more TVs with more HDMI ports. Um, Slick says it, RCA ports are gone. I mean, I've seen a handful of TVs, uh, especially from from lower-tier brands that still have an RCA port or two, but mostly now it's composite and HDMI. Those are the big drivers, maybe a a DVI port for PC, but you know, HDMI pretty much is the, is the name of the game right now. In any case, um, you know, Nintendo, their console, 30 games, Genesis is giving you 80, a couple of notable classics on there. I just want to name a few. I'm not going to go through the full 80 are Alex kid, altered beast, uh, Chakan the Forever Man, which was a, a favorite of mine. Comic Zone, Columns, uh, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, E-SWAT, which was a favorite of mine. Eternal Champions, Golden Axe 1 through 3, uh, Shadow Dancer, Revenge of Shinobi, uh, Shinobi 3, which was amazing. Sonic and Knuckles, Sonic Spinball, Sonic 1, Sonic 2, and Sonic 3D Blast. Um, Vector Man 1 and 2, not even shocked. Again, classics. Mortal Kombat 1 through 3. Uh, any other ones that jump out? Uh, those are those are most of the main titles. Everything else is, you know, chess, memory, air hockey, uh, bomber, black sheep. I don't even know what the fuck that is. Hide and seek. Lost World Sudoku. You know, I mean, it, it has a fair amount of good main titles and then a lot of shovelware. Like I said, if if you're looking for some nostalgia, 65 bucks, I mean, it's what you spend on a regular game anyway. I think in in Nintendo's case, they have a stronger you know, they have a stronger presentation only because, you know, it's wireless controllers, HDMI, 
etc., etc. But you know, Sega Sega thinks that by cramming, you know, giving you more games, which is you know, thirty good games and fifty you know bullshit games, it's gonna it's gonna offset things. Again, it's one of those things where if you want it from a nostalgia standpoint, you can pick it up. You could just as easily put the cost together and pick up a retro N5. Uh, which you know gives you Genesis, Mega Drive, NES, Super NES, and I believe Game Boy Advance. And same thing, wireless controllers, HDMI. Uh, of course, you still have to deal with buying the physical games, which you know eBay is your friend, but some of those games are definitely costly. I actually saw, which is weird. There's the you know there's comic book grading, which many of you may know. Um, which raises the value of a comic book exponentially depending on the grade. Well, it looks like there's also video game grading as well. I actually saw a graded copy of Excite Bike and it was, you know, like $250 or some craziness on eBay. I mean, the grading thing, I've always had a love-hate relationship with it because I always feel that it's it's something that's just that's just created to help you help separate you from your money. But um you know, there's there's some craziness to to you know there's some craziness abounds with video game grading. I didn't even know that was a thing. So, you know, you you got to weigh it out in terms of pros and cons. With the portable NES, from a nostalgia standpoint, you get 30 games. Whether they're going to allow you to add more or not in some capacity remains to be seen. More than likely, not. Um, Nintendo may turn around and release. Uh, a bundle with only sports games or only classic titles or you know there's there's so many different things they can do I, the way i see it is that for me as a as a gamer sure i'd pick it up it's 60 bucks i mean i mentioned when i talked about the the original announcement that i would probably pick it up for my sister uh just because you know she has a top load nes and you know she has a small tv not that many ports It'll be easier to kind of just have everything plugged in through, you know, an HDMI switch or something instead of trying to run, you know, RF adapters and all that craziness. Just something clean and um, easily accessible both for me and for her. But again, if you want to pick it up, there's going to be a portable version, which with the addition of the SD card, obviously being able to add your own Genesis games, um, you know, may extend the shelf life, but the other console like i said no hdmi is gonna ruffle a few feathers and while the selection is substantially bigger it has a fair amount of shovelware slick if you get a chance um send me the address for that place you're you're mentioning in the chat room as i mentioned you know sega not only made the announcement for a portable genesis and a you know retro style uh, Sega Genesis unit, but they also announced two Sonic games as well. The first, of course, is Sonic Mania, which is going to be a 2D platform game uh, capturing everything that made Sonic great. It will reimagine zones and acts from Sonic 1, Sonic 2, Sonic CD, and Sonic 3, and Sonic and Knuckles as well. In addition to that, there is another game which is currently untitled, but it's being developed by the team that did Sonic Colors and Sonic Generations. Uh, It'll be released in retail and digital stores for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, and Nintendo NX during the holiday season of 2017. The Sonic Mania game will be released on PS4, Xbox One, and PC in spring 2017. 
I mean, here's here's the thing. And people people laugh about it, but Sonic and just Sega in general, they 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 knew when it was time to cash out. And while the quality of Sonic titles will never, at least in my eyes, see uh, the impressive results that we're seeing, you know, with the Dreamcast Sonic games and even the classics, I admire that Sega is still going out of their way to put out, uh, you know, stuff regarding Sonic and also including him in stuff with Nintendo. As I've said, you know, the, the fans would love a good Sonic title, including including yours truly. But I also understand that Sonic's accessibility to other platforms, whether it's Xbox One or PS4 or PC or, or even the Nintendo NX for that matter, is huge because it allows, uh, you know, it allows people to get their hands on, you know, uh, an iconic character in a new in a new in new packaging, so to speak. And the way I see it is, if you were going to Take a character like Sonic, and you were going to put him into uh, a situation where he would be available on multiple platforms, and he was just, the games were equally good on any platform, I think it would be a great shot in the arm for Sega. I mean, people always say that Nintendo should step away from the hardware business and focus on taking their first-party IPs and releasing them on you know PlayStation, Xbox, etc., and there's there's a case that can be made for both sides. Uh, first off, obviously, putting Mario and all those iconic characters on different platforms would obviously introduce them to other audiences and obviously be a huge influx of cash for Nintendo. But on the flip side, Nintendo has always marched to the beat of their own drum, sometimes to their detriment and other times to incredible success, either because they do something that turns the industry on its head, or it forces people to just take notice on what they're working on. Uh, this week, you know, it's it's not it's not a good week when it comes to Nintendo, and I'll get into that later on in the segment. Obviously, you know, the success of Pokemon Go really put Nintendo on the map, but that success was short-lived, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that further in a few minutes. But... In any case, um, you know, I'm happy to see Sonic come back. I'm, I'm happy to see him appear on, on these new platforms. Hopefully the games are good, uh, just because it's nice to just run around and grab some rings and fight Dr. Robotnik and get the get the jewels and become Gold Sonic. All of that is awesome. And, you know, som- sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need a little bit more simplicity because it just, it just makes gameplay that much more enjoyable. But in, in any case... If I hear any new developments with regards to the un the unnamed Sonic title or if anything changes with Sonic Mania, I will let you guys know. Now, while we are on the subject of Nintendo, Nintendo made um quite a bit of of news this past week. Uh first off, obviously, uh a lot of speculation and leaks have been going on about the Nintendo NX. Now, Many people are, you know, going by what some developers have said that the NX is is looks incredibly promising. Uh, it's forward thinking. Nintendo, quote unquote, finally got it right. I always feel that those are just industry fluff pieces that are put out to generate a buzz. Uh, you know, a determination of that magnitude can't be made until you get hands on time with the console yourself. Again, when when I originally saw the Wii 
I thought, oh man, this is this is so lame. And then I understood what Nintendo was trying to accomplish, and you know, they, they, I I jumped on board. Not initially, I wasn't an early adopter, but when there was a decent library of games, you know, we we had some some crazy games with Mario Golf and uh, you know Wii Sports. I I used to have people come by the house, four, five, six people. We'd all be playing Wii Sports and all the sports games for hours on end. It was fun. Uh, it kept you engaged. And I think when you look at that, you understand what Nintendo was trying to accomplish. With the Wii U, I think that Nintendo really jumped ahead in terms of thinking by creating this tablet-based controller. I think they were onto something. I just think that it was a little too early for that level of implementation, uh, primarily because, you know, tablets are expensive. Obviously, now you can go and buy a tablet for $69.99 or 50 bucks, depending on, on what kind of a tablet you're looking for. But when the Wii U came to market, it was like, oh, man, we're going to put this, this revolutionary controller out there and we're going to do so much cool shit with it. And it was, it was true to a point. I just feel that the execution wasn't as good as many of us had hoped because, obviously, there were cost factors involved. Well... In the case of the Nintendo NX, many people are expecting it to were, were expecting it to be a home console. But according to a piece put out by Eurogamer, the Nintendo NX looks more and more like a portable system. Um, according to what they're saying, it's going to be a portable console with detachable controllers. Uh, the console will feature its own display screen with controllers, and the controllers are going to be on each side. When players have the console at home, they can connect it to a base unit dock station and connect it to the TV to play at home. So, <clears throat> so essentially what you're saying is you took the, the Wii U tablet controller and you're essentially making that a console. That's, that's what I'm getting from this piece. Um, the piece also said that Nintendo's console will be powered by NVIDIA's Tegra mobile processor, which means that the NX will still have a lower level of performance than the PS4 and the Xbox One, but it is a powerful enough piece of hardware to really make a, a serious impression in the portable gaming space. As of right now, it looks like Nintendo may reveal the console in September, since they didn't bring it to E3, deciding instead to showcase uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of, Breath of the Wild instead. As of right now, all signs point to the Nintendo NX debuting in 2017. So, I want to. I want to. I really wish I had the switchboard because I know I'm sure Slick would have quite a bit to add to this. Here's here's where I stand. Nintendo has, as always, the best intentions when it comes to their products. Sometimes it's a little too left field for most people, and and a lot of developers they're just they just. They don't see the big picture, and I understand that. In this case, Nintendo is leveraging what's made it famous, what's brought it to the dance over the last few years, and that's portable gaming. By allowing, by allowing a console to be portable, but also have full capabilities in home, you are showing that you're, you're going to change portable gaming if, if, if all goes according to plan forever. And I'll tell you why. If the console isn't that big, you know, if it's a, de a decent sized tablet, what you end up doing in theory is creating something that could essentially replace your DS, your 3DS, and become not only your main handheld console, 
but also your home console with minimal execution. Now, there's a rumor that's been floating around that's saying that Nintendo was going to go back to cartridges for this system. I, I'm on the fence about that. It, you know, it, it might it might pan out. It might work uh, depending on the size of the cartridge and what they're going to do. But I also have to say that SD cards have come such a long way. I mean, we're at a stage where SD cards you can buy them in. Uh, I think we're at 256. Uh, Slick, is there a 250, a 256 gig SD card? I want to say yes. I know that you're usually out and about and you see this stuff. Is there a 256 gig SD card? Now, the reason I say this is because, you know, Blu-ray discs uh, usually are about 50 gigs from, you know, if you're going single layer. Dual layer, obviously, is going to be more, but a single layer Blu-ray is, let's say, 50 gigs. So even if you put your games, I'm, I'm not even kidding, even if you decided we're going to release the games on SD cards that are going to be, you know, small enough that you can keep all of them in a small binder and they're going to have ample space for full games, then I think Nintendo is on to something. Now, if they're going to go and introduce cartridges that are going to be cumbersome for people to carry, I'm, again, I, I, I'm concerned. Think about this. If you make if you place the games on SD cards, you're able to put them in a small card reader. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to use this as an example. This is a a Think Tank SD card reader. This holds 6 SD cards. And, you know, just for argument's sake, if if they did something like that, a gamer can buy something small like this or even smaller and be able to carry a library of games with them on the go. And if Nintendo wanted to take it one step further, you would allow a cartridge slot for DS, 3DS, you know, for DS and 3DS titles that you can play on this platform. What you would do in theory is you would essentially give people something more powerful that not only can be played on the go, but also looks good on TV. Imagine being able to take your favorite DS game, pop it in uh, into this new console, and play it on the big screen. Again, you, you have games that you like playing on the go, and you can continue that experience when you come home. Uh, right now, this is all rumor and speculation. I mean, Slick just brought to my attention that an SD card right now, SanDisk has one, that is 512 gigs. Again, maybe you could put an entire library of Mario titles. Or maybe you could put an entire library of classic Zelda games. Or even a couple of different Pokemon titles. You could definitely do something. Now again, I'm not saying that that's going to be the right course of action. The wrong course of action. I'm just acknowledging it from the perspective that Nintendo can once again do something to reinvent the wheel, but they gotta they gotta tread cautiously because, like I said, if you do something cartridge based, it's gonna be a pain in the ass from a portability standpoint. Because again, if you make it like a tablet or something unique in that, you know, in that sort of a build, that's fine because you could have a holder, you could throw it in your bag. It may not be pocket friendly, but again, you know, it's one of those things where we can. You know, we, we can we can build off of that, but 
if they go and they create this this you know quote unquote new format or they complicate things more than they should, it's going to cause people to just relegate the console to it being at home, and that's that's something that for me personally, I don't want to see. I really don't want to see Nintendo fail. I always talk about the cliched phrase, which is you know iron sharpens iron, and people thrive with competition. And I continue to stand by that and reinforce it because it's one of those things where it just fosters creativity. I mean, I'll give you guys an example. I do my show, and one thing I tried not to do, minus a a few select shows, is I don't listen to any shows in my niche. I don't. For a couple of reasons. Obviously, you don't want, and I've said this before, to be inadvertently influenced by by other shows or 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 pick up any ideas or any quirks or anything you always want to try and just deliver your content your way and you know the old the old joke is and you know Gary Vaynerchuk has talked about this you know nobody has original ideas anymore all they all the all they're capable of doing is reinventing good ideas and making them better and that's fine i mean i'm not here to turn podcasting on its head or 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 live streaming i'm here to give you guys you know, the news, my opinions, my thoughts in a way that works for me. But don't get me wrong. I listen to a guy like Tim Ferriss or a guy like Gary Vaynerchuk or Jason Ferruja, you know, just to name a few and their shows. And I draw inspiration from them. I see I see what they're doing. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk is is on a whole other level. But when I see him doing stuff like Daily V, which is his his daily vlog that he puts out, um, he has a his cameraman D Rock, who's super talented, following him day to day, sharing his highs and his lows, and seeing that, I draw inspiration from it, and I'm like, "Fuck, you know, I could do that, or or I can do that and be just as good." And it it it, it fires me up, you know. It makes me want to be uh, a better content producer and provider for you guys. And in Nintendo's case, you know, going back to that, right now Sony is wrecking shop. You know, PlayStation 4 uh, is viewed by many as the console to get. Now, you look at Xbox One, they got the Xbox One S uh, coming out in, you know, in a few days. Hopefully, I'll pick one up. And they actually dropped the price of the Xbox One. I believe now it is $249. And there's, there's a couple of things that can be said about that. First, obviously, is that now you have another console that is accessible to the masses, plus it's at a competitive price point where it may hurt uh, a console like the Wii U, which is in a similar price point. And these are the things that, as a company, you have to look at and you got to go, okay, what are we going to do that's better? Obviously, Sony is Sony is kicking ass right now. They're really doing their thing, and, and they're crushing it. They're crushing it as, as good, as, as best as they can. But then you look at, say... Microsoft and Microsoft, you know, they're doing backwards compatibility. They're focusing on some, on, you know, on some of the really cool features, the integration with Windows, Cortana, and they're 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 again doing something that makes them stick out. Still not on the level that Sony is with PlayStation Four, but they're no slouches either. Uh, though, you know, at the end of the day, I want Nintendo to succeed. I, this is a company I grew up with, going back to the original NES with Duck Hunt and, and Mario Brothers, then to the Super Nintendo, then to the Nintendo 64. Um, you know, the list goes on. And when I see that, and I see these consoles, you know, especially on Nintendo's side, especially home consoles, just not thriving, 
it, you know, it crushes me inside a little bit because this is, you know, one of uh, this is a legendary company. This is a company that was a direct part of my childhood. You, you know, yes, I had an Atari 2600 growing up and a Coleco, but I didn't turn the corner as a gamer until I had an NES and I got to play Duck Hunt with my mom on Christmas morning. And I thought, holy shit, this is awesome. I remember going to a video store in the Bronx when we, where we lived at the time on Westchester Avenue called Star Search Video. I remember picking up Clash at Demon Head, which is a Nintendo game I've, you've probably heard me talk about a couple of times. Just I just loved playing it. It sucked me in. Uh, Contra, another game. RC Pro-Am, Excite Bike, uh, Legend of Zelda, Metroid. So many, so many games. And, you know, I owe a lot of that. I owe a lot of, of the foundation that I had to Nintendo. So I, I want them to succeed. I want them to be the, you know, up there, whether it's second or third, but just have a, have a dog in the race. And right now, you know, when I hear shit like cartridges, I cringe. I'm like, oh, come on, man. You know, I, I look at shit like that and I'm like, cartridges, get the fuck out of here. We're at a stage where SD cards are this big and they're 512 gigs. Think about that. 512. You, you, you could buy an SSD for, for the smallest, you know, a small SSD. Well, let me rephrase that. A 500 gig SSD for, you know, 150 bucks, 200 bucks, depending on company, et cetera, et cetera. And you can get an SD card of 512. And it's nowhere near that. And I see Danny in the chat. Shout out to Danny from Royal Flush Magazine. Um, she says, what's wrong with cartridges? They know people like collectibles. Here's the thing. I have no problem with cartridges, but if you're trying to take a console that is both home base and handheld, you're forcing people to have to carry more shit. Like... The, you know, the DS cartridges, they're okay because they're small, they're SD card size. You could get away with that and that's fine. But why create an unnecessary medium when you have something that already exists in flash-based storage, which, like I said before you join the chat, you can carry in something like this. And, and you can do that, and not only that, but you can also repurpose games, like I said, the original, you know, the original NES Zelda or a couple of different Metroid games, or a whole slew of Mario titles. Put them on an SD card. You could put the Mario collection, kind of like what they did with Super Mario All-Stars. Do something like that, release it, and it would be out there. Like I said, I think that SD is just a better medium. Yeah, cartridges are cool. I, I, don't, I don't dislike cartridges. I just feel that people have to carry more shit. You know, we got our phones. Now we got portable battery packs to play Pokemon Go. Um, you know, our wallets, our, our wireless, uh, headphones or Bluetooth headsets, you're just, you're just creating a lot of stuff that you can remedy a lot easier. I mean, if you are, see, Danny says, what if they use SD cards, but call them cartridges from what I've read from the pieces I've read, they're actually, they're actually saying that it's going to be a cartridge, a legit cartridge. Um, some people are comparing it to the current cartridge offerings on the DS, you know, on the DS, which again, make of it what you will, but the, you know, it, from what I've heard, it's not an SD card. And again, I'm going based on, 
uh, the pieces that I've read. This can all change between now and September and even March for that matter. But I'm just acknowledging the piece that's out there, which is saying that they're going to go with cartridges as the main. You know, Slick adds a DS cartridge is just slightly bigger than an SD card would not be terrible. Okay, but to that point, and and this is this is where my familiarity with the DS goes out the fucking window. Slick being a, a DS gamer, he can he can shed some light on this in the chat. When you take your DS with you, how many games do you carry and where do you store them? Just just out of curiosity. I I I'd, I'd love to know. I also thought and this would be interesting as well, what if the console came with its own built-in storage and you can download the games digitally? That I wouldn't have a problem with that either. I mean, you could have them on a, on a portable medium or you can buy them digital. Just just curious. Slick says, usually just one in the system, to which Danny reiterated, me too. You know, Slick adds that if the NX is like that, Zelda will be more than enough. One game, and I don't even play that, Danny adds. Um, you know, like anything else, it's one of those things where we got to wait and see how it pans out. But I got to sound off on it because, again, I'm not, you know, there's, there's smaller, less obtrusive mediums. That's all I'm that's all I'm saying. And um, Danny adds, I play the games I downloaded on the DS. You see what I'm saying? Like, while I understand cartridges, I just I look at that. Is it wrong to say as obsolete only because SD cards are cheap, small, and you can package a ton of them? Not only that, but if you're going to do games that are uh, that have a small footprint, you can you know, like I said, do collections, do things like that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take a wait and see approach with this, only because the piece itself only gives us a glimpse of what we're gonna see. Um, but I'll say this: as as news continues to develop on you know on route to September, uh, I'm definitely gonna be coming back to this a little more. Hopefully, uh, next time we do talk about it, we'll actually have a working switchboard. So you guys can call in and share your thoughts because I definitely want to have a deeper dialogue in regards to that. All right. So the other thing about Nintendo I wanted to talk about is, of course, has to do with Pokemon Go. Everyone is, you know, running around, catching Pokemon, getting exercise, getting their steps in. And a lot of people were looking forward to the Pokemon Go Plus, which was a small uh, accessory that Nintendo was going to release that you could carry with you or wear on your wrist And what it would do is that it would work with both Android and iOS versions of Pokemon. And it, you know, for $34.99, the little little device would actually allow you to play the game without having to constantly walk around with your smartphone. The the Bluetooth-based unit would be worn as either a pin or on a wrist strap and would light up when Pokemon or or Pokestops are close by. Um, Of course, as Slick and I were discussing last week, you know, I felt that that device would be good, especially with kids going back to school and not having to walk around with their phones. Unfortunately, it seems that the, the, the release of the unit has been delayed and has been pushed to September. Now, 
Many of us were expecting it, including myself, that we would see it at the end of July or middle of August, but now it's being pushed to September. I, I, I do feel that Nintendo definitely cannot delay this past September because, again, we're trying to take it, we're trying to make sure that if kids are going to keep playing this, you know, you, you, you have this little device. I mean, 35 bucks, it is what it is, and Slick and I, we, we discussed this at length last week, so definitely check out last week's uh, Gaming and Entertainment Edition to hear that discussion. But if you did have your hopes set, if you had your hopes set on picking this up at some point, you know, at the end of the month or throughout August, I'm afraid I have some bad news. You're going to have to wait till you're going to have to wait till September, unfortunately. Switching gears, I want to talk a little bit about Sony and Microsoft's new games that are going to be available on each of their services for free in the month of August. If you are a PlayStation Plus member, you're going to get a couple of solid titles. You're getting Tricky Towers on the PS4, Rebel Galaxy on the PS4, Yakuza 5 on the PS3, which I'm sure Slick will be completely elated to hear. And I, and I say that in complete facetious tone. Uh, Retrograde on PS3, Patapon 3 on the Vita, and Ultra and Ultratron on PS4, PS3, and PS Vita. If you're on Xbox Live Gold, you're going to be able to play Warriors all month long and WWE 2K16 from August 16th through September 15th. If you're an Xbox 360 player, you'll be able to play Spelunky starting August 1st through the 15th, and then Beyond Good and Evil HD will jump in from August 16th through the 31st. Again, to recap, PS Plus getting Tricky Towers, Rebel Galaxy, Yakuza 5, Retrograde, Patapon 3, and Ultratron for the month of August. Xbox Live Gold is getting Warriors, WWE 2K16, um, Xbox 360 is getting Spelunky and Beyond Good and Evil. I will put this full list of game of games in the in this week's show notes along with the release dates that I mentioned. That way you guys can know what games to pick up and when to turn your consoles on. For me, uh, WWE 2K16 will now allow me to, I don't know, get rid of the physical copy I have. <laughs> in any case... Like I said, I'm going to put a full title list in the show notes for this episode. The next bit of news, as longtime listeners know, has to do with one of my one of my favorite games, which is Darksiders. If you guys remember when Darksiders 1 and 2 came out, Slick and I spoke at length about how awesome the games were. We had the game's creators and developers on multiple times. They're friends of the show. And after THQ folded, Darksiders kind of fell by the wayside, and then Nordic came and released Darksiders 2 fully remastered on Xbox One and PS4. Well, looks like they're going to go back to the well because they are now going to release a remastered Darksiders 1, now titled Darksiders War Mastered. Uh, This is going to be a re-release of the 2010 uh, slash uh, hack-and-slash classic at least in my eyes, um, it's going to be fully enhanced visuals and uh, native 1080p resolution. You're going to move it at 60 frames per second on the PS4, PC, and Xbox One. The Wii U version will run at 30 frames per, per second. I got to say, I'm sure the game is going to have a, an attractive price point, and if you wait 
for Black Friday. You'll probably be able to pick it up for 10 bucks, like I know some people did with Darksiders 2. I, um, I was a little annoyed because, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen Darksiders 3 and maybe even Darksiders 4, but I'm also looking at it as a way for feelers to be out there in the sense that if Darksiders 2 sold well and Darksiders 1 sells equally well, it may actually nudge Nordic to give us a third Darksiders game. Now, that's not that's not guaranteed in the least, but it's also something worth looking at only because, uh, you know, it's an IP that they picked up. It's an IP that was surprisingly good. That first Darksiders game was amazing. I mean, you guys can look in our archives on RageWorks.net when we merged with MyTakeRadio.com, and you can find... Uh, pieces from both Slick and I on the Darksiders games, and they they were they were fucking amazing. I mean, I even have upstairs because I bought the special edition of Darksiders. It came with a small war statue slash action figure. That's that's how far it went. I mean, I still look on eBay occasionally to try and pick up Death's Mask from Darksiders two. Uh, you know, I, I I really enjoyed it. You know, Joe Mad being involved, uh, a lot of battle chasers. Uh, imagery on display and just a, a fun game. So we're gonna see what happens. I'll probably pick it up and and give it a you know give it a playthrough just to see how well it looks on new consoles. And because like I said, it was an enjoyable game. I didn't even mind. Um, I didn't mind the playthrough. But you know, it's it's one of those things where if you're just doing it for the sake of money and not moving it forward, then you know it's uh, it's a pain in the ass. Slick mentions Marvel Ultimate Alliance. As many of you know, Marvel Ultimate Alliance made its way to new consoles after an announcement at San Diego Comic-Con. I know a lot of people were very, 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 very excited to hear that. Um, I liked uh, Marvel's Ultimate Alliance. I really did. I enjoyed both games. Um, is it something that I'm gonna, that made me jump out of my skin? Eh, you know, it was, it was fine. Uh, what I would like to see would be a new Marvel versus Capcom. That's all I'm saying. You know, a Marvel versus Capcom game uh, definitely would, you know, get the, get the old juices flowing. Not that not that I hated Ultimate Alliance cuz I didn't, but I just think a Marvel versus Capcom game would uh, it would it would get a different kind of reaction. That's all I'm saying. I it would it would definitely get another reaction. That's that that's it. I mean, you know, Slick says that they you know, they lost the license, but still, if it was if it was a thing where, hey, Marvel Ultimate Alliance or a new Marvel versus Capcom, I would gladly take another Marvel versus Capcom game versus you know a Marvel Ultimate Alliance re-release. Again, that's just that's just where I stand. Anyway, moving on. As many of you know, the win- the Summer Olympics are getting, you know, they're starting to take shape. Of course, Team USA out there doing what they got to do. But as, you know, a casual basketball fan, since my, my you know, my love for basketball kind of went out with the 90s, um, I, I actually downloaded NBA 2K16. It was free on PS4. And um, trying to get back into it, I got to play as the, uh, the old 90s Bulls squad, hardcore Chicago fan. I had a Bulls lamp, comforter, and... Etc. Etc. And of course, everybody's like, "Ah, oh, but you live in New York." Don't get me wrong; I always, I always supported New York teams, but Chicago, man, woo! Especially 
going back, Scottie Pippen, Jordan, Tony Kukoc, um, you know, Dennis Rodman, those, those were those were games, you know, the Jordan's fl- infamous flu game and, you know, just just craziness, man. That era of basketball for me, you know, late 90s was tremendous. So the reason I'm sharing this story is that NBA 2K17 is actually going to have a special edition called the Legends Edition along with the standard version. Um, what you're going to get in that game is you're going to get the Dream Team. You're going to be able to play as the 2016 Dream Team, the US men, USA men's national team, which will include Coach K, first-timer in the series. Um, but besides that, if you pre-order NBA 2K17, get this, you will get the 1992 Dream Team, the real Dream Team. You know, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Clyde Drexler, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, the mailman, David Robinson, the admiral. Um, and you can actually play the 92 Olympic team against the 2016 team. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy. The promotion, of course, will also allow you to get a USA basketball jersey for your created player as well. But. The other thing I did want to remind you guys is that if you are pre-ordering the game, it will allow you to play the game four four days early uh, with the NBA 2K early tip-off weekend promotion. Uh, The normal release date for the game is going to be September 20th, but if you pre-order the game, besides getting access to the Dream Team, you'll also be able to play the game a couple of days early. Um, like I said, I'm trying to get back into the, the, the basketball games, just a, a bit of a learning curve, especially because my, when it comes to my, uh, my love of basketball games, you know, we're talking bulls versus blazers, Sega Genesis. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my, that's my fondest memory of a basketball game. Besides that, maybe NBA jam, a lot of NBA jam. As a matter of fact, when it was released on the Xbox 360 and they did that uh, on fire edition, uh, I played that for about three months straight. Every night, I'd play a couple of games just for fun. Uh, you know, maybe I'll I'll live stream that just for just for kicks. In any case, if you're an NBA fan, NBA 2K17 worth the pre-order if you want to get the '92 Dream Team and um, also a Team USA basketball jersey for your created player. The next bit of news, definitely, I, I, I wanted to address just because Slick is going to have a lot to say. Um, two years after it debuted in Japan, it looks like Yakuza 0 is heading to the U.S. and Europe on January 24th. Yakuza 0 will be coming to PS4 and will take you into Tokyo in the late 80s. It was a prequel to, you know, Sega's Yakuza series. It, de- it launched in Japan in March 2015 um you know it's one of those things where people wanted the game people talked about the game and 2017 is when you're gonna get it slick's response is definitely not family friendly in the least (laughs) in the chat room he is not happy but um if you are looking to get the game and you didn't want to import it you can wait Till March, um, let me ah, excuse me. You can wait till January to pick it up. Uh, for those of you that imported the game and played it, it is what it is. 
Slick adds they could clean up if they even did a collection of part one, two, and three on PS3 or four. I agree. I think that if they did a collection and released it in conjunction with that, it would be it would be awesome. Slick adds those games are damn near impossible to find. I feel you, dude. I feel you. But yes, Yakuza Zero is coming to the states. Mark it down on your calendars. January twenty fourth. Uh, you can pick that up on PS4. All right. I want to close things out with a bit of Nintendo news and some Xbox news. First, um, Nintendo has released some financials, and it, it appears that they made an operating loss of 5.1 billion yen, which translates to $48.6 million in the first quarter of 2016. Uh, you can attribute that to the Wii U sales plunging 53% year over year with a uh, a sell rate of 220,000 units. Um, you know, 12 months ago, Nintendo recorded its best first quarter figure since 2012, a year in which the company was winding down the Wii and preparing for the Wii U. This year, Nintendo finds itself in a similar position with the Wii U all but a thing of the past, but the Legend of Zelda Breath of Wild and the new NX console getting people's juices flowing. Now, I got to say this. Um, you know, Nintendo, they've been, making, they've been making some strides, you know, getting on people's radar, uh, especially with the success of Pokemon Go. As many of you remember, I said that Pokemon Go attributed to Nintendo seeing a huge surge in their stock. Well, it looks like that surge was short-lived. The reason is because Nintendo had to actually go on record and and clarify that they were, you know, their 32% stake in the Pokemon company, which is responsible for the game alongside Niantic is the reason why the game was ultra successful. Nintendo's involvement was, you know, just in in ownership stake only. As a result of this, you know, this clarification, Nintendo's stock uh, definitely not where it was when Pokemon Go dropped. As I said, you know, it had a, a huge, huge, huge impact on Nintendo's stock until they had to clarify that, you know, they're not fully, fully, fully responsible for the success of the game. Of course, aside from that, they did say that the upcoming launch of, you know, the Pokemon Go Plus Peripheral, the Retro NES, and of course, the NX and the new Zelda game will actually make them profitable in the upcoming fiscal year. That remains to be seen, but um, it's crazy that the Wii U saw a 53% drop. You know? <sighs> Slick says, that is pretty clear when you start the game and see the huge Niantic logo and no Nintendo logo. This is true, but you know what the problem is, Slick? You gotta look at it this way. When people look at Pokemon, and I'm not talking about gamers, I'm talking about the casual, you know, the, the guys in the stock market that aren't gamers. They're like, oh, Pokemon, Nintendo. Boom, light bulb. Let's buy stock. And that's that's the thing. You know, that's that's partially the reason why. And I think that Nintendo kind of hoped, and I'll be honest, I think they kind of hoped in their heart of hearts that they could get away with it and nobody would say anything. Obviously, uh, that was not the case, and they had to uh, release a statement clarifying that. But again, it's just crazy that 
it was such a huge, huge, huge stock stock increase for Nintendo, and it just you know it pretty much took a hit once they said, yeah, well, you know, we're involved, but we didn't make the game. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm sure I'm sure guys that bought all that stock that were hoping to just cake off, uh, you know, with with the options that they per- you know, with the stock options that they purchased, they're probably like, fuck, now we got to sell this shit. But I got to tell you. You you really shouldn't if if you went and you jumped into the the pool because of Nintendo's success with Pokemon Go, I would I would take my time and give Nintendo a chance. Like I said, you know the the NX looks interesting. It, it it's creating a lot of conversation, a lot of interesting uh, scenarios, many of which I talked about earlier. But also, you're you're seeing a brand new Zelda game, the Pokemon Go accessory which obviously is coming from them directly, these are all things that are, they're worth exploring, you know, they're worth, they're worth giving Nintendo a chance at least to see how they do. Um, financially, you know, it's not the death knell as much as people would like. They just, you know, they just think, oh, you know, their, their stock, crum- you know, it tumbled because of, of this. And it's like, all right, yeah, it did, but so what? So what? You know, like, like give them a chance right now. I'm taking a wait and see approach with the NX. Like I said, I, I sounded, you know, I, I shared my thoughts on, on what's going on and, you know, the Euro gamer piece and where I stand with it. But, um, I'm excited. I'm just excited for, to see Nintendo come out and go, Hey, we got a brand new console and it's this it's it, it, whether it's good or it's bad. It, you know, I just, I just like to see Nintendo do well, you know, like I said, n- nostalgia and all. Anyway, last bit of news to wrap things up, courtesy of Microsoft and the Xbox One S. As many of you know, the brand new Xbox One S is hitting stores on August 2nd. Uh, It's going to be the two terabyte system. You're also going to have the brand new controller, but you're not just going to have access to that because if you decide to wait a little longer, you'll be able to pick up either a Halo or Madden 17 xbox one s bundle uh the 500 gig and one terabyte configurations of the new xbox one s will launch with two bundles on august 23rd uh they're going to cost 299 and 349 respectively obviously 299 for the 500 gig 349 for the one terabyte uh the consoles are up for pre-order you got the madden 17 bundle which includes the game a month subscription to ea access's premium service and if you purchase the halo bundle Obviously, you're going to get Halo 5, but you're also going to get Halo, the Master Chief Collection. So, if you've been on the fence about picking up an Xbox One console, you have a couple of options starting August 2nd. But, you can always pick up the big, fat, you know, giant Xbox One VCR, which you can pick up for $249 while supplies last. So, there you have it. Me, personally... I'll probably pick up an Xbox One S just because, you know, I have a little more space in my home theater and the the big giant Xbox One will probably come down into the studio for uh, for some streaming and just uh, uh, to have a Blu-ray player downstairs. So there you have it, folks. August 2nd for Xbox One S. If you want a Madden or a Halo edition, August 23rd is the date that you should be marking on your calendars. With that, That is going to wrap up this week's gaming segment. We're going to switch gears and jump right into this week's entertainment. 
Let's get to it. I want to start off with um, some Netflix news. If if you've been if you're an '80s baby like yours truly, I'm sure you may have checked out Voltron's Legendary Defender. Unless you totally hated Voltron, which in in any case, you know <laughs> you're entitled to that. But I had the opportunity to sit down and watch the entire 11 episode season, and um, I came away satisfied. I felt that the that the season the series was was pretty good. There were a lot of moments that really captured the spirit of what Voltron is all about. Uh, they took, you know, they, they made a couple of changes. They weren't terrible. And um, Voltron's design is pretty cool. It, it still maintains a lot of the, the classic stuff, but also adds a couple of, you know, more more modern elements. I think um, in the case of the Xbox, uh, the Xbox, <laughs> it, I'm only reading that because of what Slick was saying about the Xbox in the chat. Thanks, Slick. <laughs> in any case, um, you know, Voltron, the original series, when it was released, the new one, I should say, the new series that came out not that long ago that we had um, we had one of the creators on the show, was, it was good. It had um, It had some things I didn't like. I thought, you know, making all the different colors of the lions, the uh, the centerpiece was just a a glorified way to buy have kids buy the different versions. But again, you know, I oh, I like the red version, I like the blue version, I like the yellow version, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, I wasn't a fan. I thought that that was, you know, that was probably one of the things that I felt was detrimental to that series. But uh, Voltron's legendary defender didn't go that route. It maintained, like I said, a lot of what made Voltron really cool when we were growing up with, again, subtle tweaks and changes and, you know, just some really solid animation. Well, it looks like the, the, the praise from many people have inspired Netflix to go ahead with a second season. Um, during the show's San Diego Comic-Con panel, it was announced that Voltron will be having a second season uh, debuting later this year. Uh, the goal is to release the second season by the end of the year, of course, exclusively on Netflix. If you guys watched this first season, you know that it ended in a very, uh, very large, very, let me rephrase that, a very uh, big cliffhanger which um, I'm curious to see where they take those stories for the next season. So I'm very happy to hear that they're going to move forward with that, and I am definitely looking forward to when it airs on Netflix towards the end of the year. Now, I did say that you know I'd love to see if they're successful with Voltron maybe giving Thundercats another go, only because I felt that the, the Thundercats cartoon that came out not that long ago um, was, was good, it had some potential. Um, they really had some some good stories. There were things I didn't like, and I'm sure many fans felt the same way. But it was not bad. It was it just needed a little work, and I think that by doing something with Netflix, it allows them to kind of just put it all out there and let people binge watch it and enjoy it. Slick says um, 
they wasted the potential. It needed 100% less filler. There definitely were some episodes that were completely fucking bad. I got to I got to agree with Slick on that. There was I believe one episode, the one where they got where they were where Wiley Kid and Wiley Cat were stuck in the town with the thief and it was just such an utter filler episode. I was like, "Oh man, is this episode shit?" And Slick says 14 out of the 26 were filler. I mean, there were some episodes that I enjoyed for for different reasons, but the the one with the Wiley Kit and Wiley Cat in the in the town sticks out the most for whatever reason. I'm like, "Wow, this this episode was was tough to get through." But um like I said, I'd love to see that. I think that, you know, Netflix is a viable platform and Voltron was well received. Yes, the town in the bag. That's right. Thank you, Slick. That is exactly what I'm talking about. That episode was pretty much just as painful as, you know, pulling teeth. It was, it was, oh man, was it bad. In any case, you know, the second season, Voltron Legendary Defender, end of the year, Netflix. While we're on the subject of Netflix, Daredevil is getting a third season, which should come as a shock to absolutely no one. Um, Obviously, besides Daredevil getting a third season, Jessica Jones getting a second. Of course, fans got a glimpse of Iron Fist and Luke Cage plus the Defenders. So Netflix is a, um, you know, it's one of those things that's definitely going to... uh, Keep a lot of Marvel fans busy over the next couple of months and even even throughout uh, 2017 and 2018. So Luke Cage, of course, is the next show on deck. Really looking forward to it. I, I liked what I saw in the trailer and I'm looking forward to Iron Fist as well. And I'm interested in seeing how they can pull it all together for the Defenders. But um, like I said, keep an eye out for that. Another season of Daredevil, another season of Jessica Jones. But until then... We got Luke Cage, which um, Slick said every episode title is a Gangstar song. That is true. Um, really excited for that. I mean, you know, I, I really like that the trailer was presented that way. But for anyone who's a, who's a fan of Gangstar, they're going to appreciate that little inside reference. Um, that's for sure. Again, mark your calendars. Uh, Luke Cage uh, arrives on Netflix in September. All right. Let's talk. Marvel. IGN, of course, was reporting from New York Comic Con. Uh, New York Comic Con. Ugh. Fuck that. Fuck that event. San Diego Comic Con. Um, I and it's funny because you know I watch IGN's coverage and a couple of other websites. They do a really good job covering Comic Con, and they were covering the Marvel panel. Had Guardians, all the other stuff, and they had the cast come out, and they were like, "Yeah, you know." Uh, let's give it up for the cast of Black Panther and the cast of, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and et cetera, Doctor Strange. And before you knew it, they were like, oh, yeah. And we want to announce Captain Marvel. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I had to actually stop for a minute and say, wait, 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 what was that? And they actually have formally announced that Brie Larson will be Captain Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, for those of you that don't know, Brie Larson was in Scott Pilgrim. She was also in... She won Best Actress for her work in the film The Room. And um, she, you know, she's a pretty solid actress. But it was weird because when I think of Captain Marvel, I think of an older 
not a super older woman, obviously, but I think of somebody that looks a bit more like they can mix it up. And, you know, I used to say that uh, Katie Sackhoff was good. Um, Charlize Theron, just as good. Uh, people used to joke about, you know, Ronda Rousey, who expressed interest. Uh, Gina Carano, definitely, especially if you look at some of the other Captain Marvel books, definitely she has the look. Uh, didn't didn't think Brie Larson uh, in the least, I'll be honest. Uh, it was funny because there's, a, there's an artist... Uh, many of you may have seen his work across social media. Uh, Boss Logic. He, um, whenever certain casting announcements are made, he does really awesome pieces to showcase what these characters may look like. Uh, he's gone, you know, he did uh, Superman and how he might look in Justice League. He's done countless other art pieces, and they're um, they're they're awesome. So he did a piece. And he was like, oh, this is what I think Brie Larson would look like as Captain Marvel. And I was like, well, shit. Doesn't doesn't look terrible. Really doesn't. Danny says she's not the one I would have thought for the role either. I agree. And, um, you know, I saw the piece and I was like, man, Boss Logic, he, he's, he sees it. He really sees uh, that, you know, how, how it might come together on screen. Now, in, the, in terms of casting, I said to myself, you know, Brie Larson is, is a good actress, and she's young. You can lock her up for quite some time. And that's, that's part of the reason why I think that the casting was done the way it was done. Uh, an actress like Charlize Theron, who, you know, has a very impressive resume, is going to, you know, she's going to ask for a shit ton of money, and the movie may not be good. She may not be able to work. She may not have the chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. and... And all these other actors and actresses that are part of the cinematic universe. Brie Larson, if you saw Scott Pilgrim, you realize that she could really mix it up with a who's who of acting talent. You know, Scott Pilgrim had uh, from Chris Evans to Brandon Routh to uh, Michael Sarah. Uh, you know, you had you had a different, uh, a, a huge assortment of different levels of acting talent, and she looked she looked really good. She looked really good alongside those different actors. And again, you know, for, for win for winning an award for her work in the room in room, it just it just shows that as an actress she's she's grown quite a bit. And you know, it's funny because when they had ch- cast Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther, you know, the first thing I said is, Oh man, I visualize this actor or this other actor or that other actor or this guy or that guy. And before you know it, you know, Civil War comes out and Chadwick Bo- uh, Chadwick Boseman destroys it as uh, T'Challa and Black Panther. And, you know, with that said, I said to myself, you know, Marvel clearly sees something that we don't with the, the casting choices that they make. So... Rather than just sit here and bitch about it, I'm I'm gonna take I'm gonna genuinely take a wait and see approach. The only thing I will say is that I thought of a dozen other actresses or half a dozen other actresses, and Brie Larson wasn't in that list. But I'm willing to check it out. If you want to see what she may look like as Captain Marvel, go to look up Boss Logic on Facebook or on Instagram, and his piece should be up. I believe it was also shared. I want to say it was comicbook.com or possibly uh, Geek Tyrant. One of those two sites also shared uh, that artwork. And, you know, the, 
you know, it's it's it, people are like, oh, you're sending people to another site. Yeah, well, you know, they they have a good relationship with the guy. They share his artwork. I'm not gonna go take the guy's artwork, put it on my site, credit him, and then you know, ruffle some feathers because he doesn't know RageWorks or he doesn't know me. So yes, look it up. Like I said, go to the guy's page, check out one of those sites, and you can see that that imagery. I think, like I said, if it if it if it's based on how he did it. It looks. It does look promising. I will say that. Let's talk box office numbers. Um, Star Trek Beyond secured the number one slot, uh, knocking off The Secret Life of Pets, which dropped to the number two slot, uh, earning an additional $29.3 million. The Secret Life of Pets has $260.7 million uh, on, you know, in, in its box office totals. Uh, Star Trek Beyond debuted with a 59.6 opening uh, Ghostbusters was at number three. Lights Out actually debuted in the top five in the number four slot. People were saying that it's a pretty decent horror flick. Um, I'm, I'm willing to check it out. Am I going to go in and pay the, uh, the, the high price for it? No, maybe a matinee, but looks promising. Uh, Ice Age Collision Course was number five. Finding Dory dropped to number six. Legend of Tarzan was seven. Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates is eight. Hillary's America, the secret history of the Democratic Party, was number nine, and the infiltrator was number ten. Now, a couple of things. Uh, you can check out our review of Ghostbusters on RageWorks.net. I also gave a quick five-minute review during last week's episode of the show. Also, you can check out our review of Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Now, uh, hopefully, I will be checking out Star Trek Beyond maybe tomorrow, if not Saturday, I will also I'm also going to try and check out Jason Bourne. I've heard mixed reviews about Jason Bourne, but I always like watching those movies on the big screen. It's just, you know, the experience. I mean, they're not the best, but they're they're solid and it's usually a pretty good cast. So, either way, uh whichever film I go to see, uh there will be a review for it on rageworks.net. Uh I did want to mention that I've been trying to find a way to bring back the Minority Film Report. Um, only because so many people have said, you know, it's easier if, you know, you, we, we can hear an audio review because we can catch it opening weekend or whatever, especially if it's short. And I've talked to a couple of different people who, whose opinion I value about it. And I've just, I've just genuinely been trying to find a way to bring that back doing, you know, a 10, 15 minute, maybe half hour tops, uh, quick review, maybe with spoilers, maybe without of certain films and releasing it maybe that same day. Uh, we'll see if, if that does come to fruition. I would like to bring back the Minority Film Report. Um, we had a really good time with it in its original incarnation, which was, you know, we'd watch really terrible movies, and usually myself and Slick or myself and another staff member at the time would record our thoughts and share it. It was well-received. Um, still, it's still, it's, still it's still on the docket, that's for sure. Um, Slick adds, Star Trek is worth the IMAX 3D. I agree. Uh, Sharknado 4 this Sunday. <laughs> yeah, you could review that, you damn self. I'm just going to watch it because it is going to be complete tomfoolery and bullshit. Um, but you can review that, you damn self. Good luck. <laughs> I am not going to do a minority film report for Sharknado 4. I, I value my sanity. And the bulk of it is going to be like, oh, my God, this shark fell on this person. Or, oh, my God, this shark ate this guy. Holy shit, Seth Rollins. 
The only thing that would redeem that is if Seth Rollins like pedigreed a shark and was like, <laughs> that would be the only thing. Anything else would not be good in the least. Anyway, let's move on. Got to talk a little bit about some DC stuff on the big screen side of things. We have found, uh, they have, well, let me rephrase that. They have found Irish, uh, Irish, Irish West for the big screen version of The Flash. It is going to be Kiersey Clemens, who you may have seen recently in Neighbors 2. As many of you know, Candace Patton plays Irish. I, ugh, I can't say Iris. I am. Um, let's say it slowly. Candace Patton plays Iris West on the CW version of The Flash alongside Grant Gustin. The movie Flash, the big screen version of The Flash, is going to have Kiersey Clemens, who will also be playing Iris West. Now that what everybody's been talking about is, hey, how come is it that Iris went from being white to black? Um, my response, who gives a fuck? I'm, I'm being honest. Doesn't matter. At the end of the day, is the story good? Is the casting solid? Or is the, is the, are the actors portraying good versions of their comic book counterparts? Eh, a little, a little changing here and there isn't going to kill anyone. You know, simple as that. That's all I'm saying. But people always find something to complain about because that, my friends, is what I read about as soon as that news story broke. Isn't Iris West white in the comics? I said, who cares? I actually mentioned it in a, in a group. I was like, who gives a shit? I'm being honest. Who cares? Black Nick Fury, white Nick Fury. If, if, it, if it's established somewhere and it works, what does it matter? And again, we're talking about secondary and tertiary characters in some cases. I mean, this goes back to the shit with people complaining about Heimdall. Same, who cares? Who gives a shit? You're watching The Flash because you give a fuck about, I, I don't know, The Flash. Yes, Iris West is, a, is an important character, but you're there for The Flash. Period. Love interests or love interests, whether they're black, white, purple, green, yellow, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you are there for the name that is in the marquee, the name that is on the poster, the character that you're a fan of, and that's it. Simple as that. That's, that's, that's my stance on that. That's my take on the matter. It's, it, who cares? Great. You know, they found somebody to play her. Awesome. On the animated side of things, DC showcased uh, their Justice League Dark, which looked pretty awesome, but also looked really cool because they got Matt Ryan to reprise Constantine, even if it's an animated version. Uh, definitely very cool to see that. Of course, Justice League Dark is going to have some of the darker characters of the DC Universe. Besides Constantine, of course, you're going to see Deadman, Zatanna, Etrigan the Demon, Plus, Batman will be appearing, Swamp Thing, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Green Lantern. So, Justice League Dark will arrive on DVD and Blu-ray and digital this fall. I like the trailer. Looks solid. Uh, like I said, hearing, hearing Matt Ryan as Constantine was tremendous. I was really pumped for that. I'm like, damn, if only we can get Constantine back on TV. 
Fingers crossed, folks. Fingers crossed. You know, I talk about reboots quite a bit, and most times I speak about them in a negative sense. Uh, One film that I was always curious about if it would succeed as a reboot was The Rocketeer. Sometimes when I do this show, I feel that people are genuinely listening to what I'm saying, and they're pulling the trigger. Well, it looks like The Rocketeer is coming back. Uh, The Hollywood Reporter published a piece saying that Walt Disney Pictures is working on a brand new Rocketeer, which will serve as both a sequel to the original film, but also a reboot. Uh, The story that's being kicked around is that it's going to be a, a period piece like the original, and it's going to take place six years after Cliff Secord fought the Nazis, uh, and since then he's vanished, and a young African-American female pilot takes on the role of the Rocketeer to stop a corrupt rocket scientist from stealing the jetpack technology during the Cold War. Uh, definitely got zero problems with this whatsoever. Uh, the Rocketeer character, um, you know, was amazing. The comic book, of course, uh, done by uh, Dave Stevens, was adapted to a film which I remember seeing with my brother in in a theater in the Bronx. I believe it was called The Dover. Uh, so it, I want to say he took me to see that movie three times. And whenever it's on television, I watch it every chance I get. And um, I've seen some pretty kick-ass Rocketeer cosplayers as well. I believe Ivy Doom Kitty, if, if that's her name, she did a really cool one, uh, Rule 63 style. And um, I believe it's called Rule 63 when it's a female cosplayer cosplaying as a male character. I could be wrong. Uh, don't quote me. But um, in any case, it's cool to see. I think that it's um, it's a character that has a very rich and deep history being brought back to a new audience. And you're still acknowledging the original film. So I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm always, you know, I, I, I never speak well of reboots most times i'd like to say that i have a a 75 percent uh, chance of shitting on it but um i like the rocketeer man and i'm i'm willing to i'm willing to sit back and see how this plays out in any case um when we get new any additional details including release dates etc i will share it with you guys keep it locked to rageworks for any additional news regarding the rocketeer all right, so last bit of entertainment news to wrap things up actually involves Johnny Quest. Uh, for the last couple of years, I've been talking about on and off the a big screen version of Johnny Quest. And every time I talk about it, it kind of just falls by the wayside, gets kicked under the rug. And then before you know it, nobody talks about it. And then a couple of months or even a couple of years later, boom, we're back to Johnny Quest. So... Looks like Warner Brothers is once again kicking around the idea for a Johnny Quest film, but not only is it being kicked around as a film, but as possibly a series that may serve as a framework for another buzzword here, folks, cinematic universe. Here's the thing. When you look at Johnny Quest, you're looking at something that has the potential to be on the same level as, I don't know, Harry Potter. Just an Indiana Jones-style Harry Potter franchise. And I think there's definitely potential there. But um, the thing is, 
you really you really got to take the time to reintroduce the character, get some good casting. Um, a good story is crucial and amazing special effects, uh, especially because if you watch Johnny Quest, especially the original cartoon, um, a lot of it was stuff that was real world. And then at times you would venture into the mystical. And I think that if you're going to do that, you need to capture that vibe that made films like Indiana Jones, you know, household names. I think you need to, to bring that level of storytelling and fantasy to a live action version of Johnny quest for it to really take off. I mean, from a nostalgia standpoint, you may get some people in there, but if the story's not compelling, if the characters aren't engaging your, your ideas of crafting a cinematic universe may fall by the wayside. And I'm telling you, we don't, don't cut corners either. We need Dr. Benton quest. We need, uh, race Bannon, Johnny, we need Bandit the Dog, we need Haji, we need all that. Even if you want to go into the new cartoons and you want to use uh, Race Bannon's daughter, uh, you need that. Definitely want to go that route because I think if it's done right, you have the potential to create a brand new franchise for the young adult audience. The same way that you can get people in there with, uh, you know, the, um, whatchamacallit, Hunger Games or Harry Potter I think that there's there's a way to pull it off if you do it right with Johnny Quest. As of right now, there's no information with regards to casting or release dates, but it's looking like it's it's back on with Warner Brothers. So we'll see what happens. If we get any updates with regards to casting, story, anything else, you know I will definitely share it with you guys. Slick adds the Venture Brothers. The Venture Brothers actually exist in the future of the Johnny Quest universe. So, you know, if if that were done, Slick, I think it would be interesting to see if they could pull that off. Again, you know, if you're trying to create this quote-unquote cinematic universe and the Venture Brothers are part of it, then so be it. But um, we'll see what happens. As always, if I hear more, I will share it with you guys. That said, uh, that's going to wrap up the entertainment segment of the show and it's also going to wrap up this episode of mtr so with that said i've given you my take on gaming and entertainment as always i'd love to hear yours feel free to reach out via social media you can find my take radio on facebook by heading to facebook.com forward slash official rageworks and interacting with us there you can also find rageworks and my take radio on twitter either at my take radio or at rage underscore works Still a lady sitting on that Rageworks uh, Twitter account, man, and she hasn't she hasn't logged in in like five years, and it's fucking driving me insane. In addition to those social media outlets, of course, you can find Rageworks on Instagram, just at Rage underscore Works. You can also find us on Snapchat. You can see our Snap code on Rageworks.net. It's right on the front page. You can follow us there. Uh, we do have boards on Pinterest. We do... Uh, still put content on Google+, Plus, but the bulk of it, of course, is on RageWorks.net, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Last but not least, of course, archived episodes of this show and any of our previous shows can be found in a couple of places. Number one, of course, RageWorks.net. Go in, punch in My Take Radio, or go into shows. You can find past episodes of the show, both audio and video, in one gift-wrapped package. In addition to that, you can find audio archives of the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. 
Video archives can be found on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. We definitely want to get those subscribers up. So by all means, if you have not subscribed, please do. I know a lot of you guys are still on the My Take Radio YouTube page, but please, if, if you are a subscriber on that page, subscribe to us on RageWorks as well. All right. With that said, on behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the RageWorks and MTR crew, thank you guys for checking out this episode of My Take Radio and join us next week, hopefully at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for the MMA and wrestling edition of MTR. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Thanks for watching. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. That's all, folks.